just get going, do something, try to provide value to someone because that client or customer of yours will, will give you good direction in what provides more or less value to him. And you're looking for value as a founder. If you find value, that's half of the journey. Welcome to The InFactor, conversations about how great entrepreneurs started, stumbled, and succeeded. I'm Rebecca White, and today's guest is Nicholas Hemrigson. This is Nicholas's second time on the show, and I'm really excited to have him back and learn more about what he's been up to since we last spoke. You may remember, if you listened to the earlier episode, Nicholas went to Stanford Business School started a digital automotive retail company called Carlipso after he graduated in 2013. Nicholas and his co-founder, Chris Coleman, went through the startup accelerator Y Combinator and raised a total of $10 million in venture funding before they sold the business to Carvana in 2017. Since that time, Nicholas left Carvana and started a new company called With Clutch. And I understand with Clutch has an annual run rate of 500 million in refinance applications and grown to 21 people in the workforce. So I'm really excited to catch up with you today, Nicholas, and I know everybody's gonna love hearing what you've been up to. So let's get started and let's hear a little bit more about what, what's changed since your last episode. Sure. Thanks for having me. It's obviously super fun to be back. Things change so quickly in an early stage startup. So a year feels like a century. I think the last time we talked, we had just left Carvana. We knew that auto loans are somewhat mispriced. People people just don't shop for loans. They shop for cars. Mm -hmm. And so what we found is if, if somebody gets his or her car loan at the dealership, there's a good chance you can refinance that car loan and people just don't do it. 50% 50% of people who get a mortgage or 50% of the funded mortgage application, I should say, get refinanced and only 5% of the car loans that are funded every year get refinanced. And so we entered this market. Initially, we thought, let's go direct to consumer. Let's find the consumers who have car loans and then turn around and find a home for this loan. But what we found is when talking to credit unions and small banks, they told us, hey, a lot of our customers and members have loans elsewhere that we would like to recapture. Like we have a good relationship with them already. We don't need to find new ones only. We can focus on the existing ones. And so can we just use your software to power our application portals? And so we, we basically transitioned from what initially was a direct-to-consumer business to a business where we built software for banks and credit unions. And so, as you can imagine, once you, once you partner with bigger and bigger credit unions, you quickly have bigger and bigger audiences. And so, yeah, we, we went from like single digit loan applications per day a year ago to now probably a half a billion dollars a year that we process. And that's going to double over the next two to three months again, because we sign up new partners as we grow. Wow, what a great lesson in there for entrepreneurs. So you started out like all entrepreneurs do, I think, with a vision of what this would be. And then as you listen to the customers in the market, you pivoted, changed it, and now you're a B2C as opposed to, a, or B2B, excuse me, B2B as opposed to a B2C. B2C. Yeah. So you're exactly. selling, yeah, you're selling. So tell us about your typical value that you bring to the customer, yeah, your, no which is now, as you said, smaller banks and credit unions. Would that be your uh, primarily Exactly. Customer? And so let's talk about credit unions. Credit unions are great organizations that people don't remember or have forgotten about, which we're going to change. 
Ukrainians are a nonprofit organization that have the lowest cost of capital and they're tax exempt. So if you get a loan from a Ukrainian, they're not aiming to make a profit. They're aiming to just barely break even on it. And then they don't pay any tax. So it's, it's all to the benefit of the consumer. They used to be very branch centric businesses. Like mm-hmm. when you have a member of a Ukrainian, which every third American is a member of a Ukrainian, people just don't remember it and realize. But people are used to going to the branch to solve their banking needs. And then COVID happened and branches were closed. And now that COVID is starting to flatten off, Ukrainians are opening up the branches again, but consumers are not coming back. They like the idea of being served online. And in the interim, while branches were closed, a lot of the banking needs were just completed over probably Zoom calls and emails and phone calls. But now the Ukrainians tell us, hey, we, we need consumer-facing software that makes it incredibly easy for our members to interact with us. And so that's how we stumbled into something that we didn't even know existed. That's really cool. So does this translate to solving some of the earlier problem that you identified? And that is that customers aren't always getting the best financing value? Yeah, correct. So credit unions want loans. Their job is to lend money. And the way they traditionally get car loans is by partnering with car dealerships. But now we tell them, hey, just build better software and better user experience for existing members. So if they got a loan elsewhere, they can just refinance with you with just three, three or four clicks. And so it's exactly the same vision, the same problem we're addressing. It actually expanded, and I'll tell you about that in a second. But the, the main problem has always been it was difficult for somebody who wanted to refinance to submit an application for refinance to the credit union. And so we made that really easy. Got it. So in sum, I think what you're saying is credit unions offer a great value that most consumers don't know about in terms of car loans. And you know, your point's a good one because I know I've refinanced homes but I don't think I've ever refinanced an automobile in my experience. So further, it's a good point. It's a good point, but it goes even further. And something that we didn't realize, every time somebody submits a loan application for refinance, we not only see the car loans, we see every debt, every line of debt, every tra- trade line it's called on your credit report. And so we see your savings potential on car loans, but we also see other loans. And so what we weren't aware of at the time and only realized once we started processing more loan applications, people have all kinds of debt elsewhere, especially now that there's these, these buy now, pay later lenders. It's very easy to get a loan very quickly when you buy something, when you buy a Peloton, for example, you can so easily select, okay, I want to finance that one. Mm-hmm. Consumers don't realize that these are very high interest loans, like 20%, 20% or more in interest. And, and if, if you were to think about it, you'd, you'd never admit that you'll end up getting this loan and you'd say, I won't ever get this loan, but then people do. And so what we found, instead of just refinancing car loans, we refinance every kind of debt. Could be car loans, could be home equity loans, could be unsecured personal loans, even credit cards. If you have a high credit card balance, well, it's fine. You transfer balance card and save you money. So what, we, what started with car loans transitioned to the whole loan offering of these credit unions because they want to deploy capital and help their members. So your software really is you're partnering with these financial institutions that have been struggling, especially, you know, post pandemic or during the pandemic. So you're helping them actually identify all the ways that they might be able to help customers refinance. But you're you're bringing people in through the auto loan space. Is that correct? Correct. correct. Yeah, that's one angle. But it's, it's also the other angle exists, too. Like I jokingly often say counterintuitively, the best way to refinance the auto loan of a member 
may actually be to offer him a credit card. Because all we need to do is we need somebody to go through the application process. Once you go through the application process, we see all debt you have elsewhere. And Rebecca, you may not have thought about it when you got a credit card. Had the bank told you, hey, you have a car loan, you can refinance. It's just one click. You would have done it because it's free Mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. And so we find by using a by broadening the offering, we achieve multiple things. A, we can help on multiple fronts, but we also get more reason for a member to have a touch point with a credit union and leverage these touch points for up and cross sell. That's how they call it. I call it saving, saving the consumer a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's really exciting. So how do I, as a, you know, I'm a listener to this, how do I interact with Clutch? Do I even realize I'm doing that? Or is it my local credit union or maybe small community bank? That Good, good question. So you actually wouldn't realize. If you look very closely and you interact with your credit union, your community bank, you could see at the bottom that the experience is powered by with Clutch. But in reality, touch and feel, it's a white label product. Touch and feel is as if you were interacting with your bank and credit union. Yeah. And yeah. so in, in order to serve credit unions, what we've done, and this is unusual, we basically formed what's called a CUSO, a credit union service organization. And so these organizations are committed to the credit union movement. And the largest portion of the revenue comes from credit union. And as a result, we can partner much closer with credit unions. We can even take money in from credit unions, which a lot of our clients tell us, hey, I I love what you guys are doing. I want to invest in the company. And so we have like this really interesting feedback loop that feedback has been really positive. And on top of that, our clients want to invest in the company, which is funny. Yeah, you know, that's pretty cool. And in today's world, there's a lot of movement towards that, democratizing the ownership of companies. You know, a lot of that's been in the crypto space, but you're doing it in maybe a more traditional sense. It's a similar, like individuals and institutions who want to like contribute to the movement, participate. The one thing that's also new and it's maybe exciting to announce, we haven't talked about it yet. Given that we've made so much progress and now the company is really taking off, we ended up raising a big venture round mm-hmm. from Andreessen Horowitz, amongst others. And the other two worth mentioning are CUNA Mutual. CUNA stands for Credit Union National Association. Okay. They serve credit units as well. They have a venture arm. They invested in the third investor called Circle, a credit union fund, like investment fund where all the investors are credit unions. And so we raised a total of slightly north of $16 million. One six, uh, it's been a really big round. Uh, came very, really quick after we like, nice. ran into the growth curve, which is great. And so now we have like all the horsepower as well as the strategic partners to partner with credit unions who we identify as our main client. Yeah, so yeah. really excited about that, obviously. So, yeah, and in this, I find this really interesting because you're right, I mostly use traditional banks, but I've had access to credit unions through my life at various times. How large is this market? I know there, I know the history of credit unions in this country, you know, has been kind of up and down, you know, but I'm really curious about how big this market is. Yeah, really good question. So every third American is a member of a credit union. A lot of them don't even know they are. So number one, number two, the reason why most of your banking needs are addressed by banks is because they spent more marketing dollars. And so if they spent more marketing dollars, those are the banks you'd be aware of. But if they spent marketing dollars, they're for profit businesses. And so they'll make the money somewhere. Mm-hmm. Great unions are usually, and I love that about them, affinity groups. They all start as affinity groups. I would venture to guess one of the earliest ones was, for example, Navy Federal Credit Union, where a lot of army 
officers came together and, and realized that the usual banks wouldn't serve them because there was a risk that somebody would go up to, to do perform service and then may not come back or not come back anytime soon. And so they, they were very, very underbanked. And then they said, okay, let's just form a credit union and help each other. We want this to be a nonprofit. It's just here to help ourselves. It's managed by professionals and we'll pay them. But the goal is to not make profit. The goal is to help this affinity group. And so you look at all the unions, and the best ones have a very strong affinity group, very high loyalty of their members towards the credit union. And so the, the one thing that's missing is a software layer that makes it easy to interact with the credit union, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what I find interesting too about listening to you talk about this is that the concept of credit unions really fits so beautifully with where a lot of the mindset is today about community and affinity groups and that sort of thing. And, and credit unions typically kind of conjure up, you know, something that's outdated. But what, what you're really pointing out, I think, is how timely that market could be and, and what the future might be. That's really interesting. Yeah, the, the fact that it seems outdated is that's the opportunity, right? People they're underserved. Right. They don't have good software vendors. All the software vendors are private equity owned, and they're much more short-term oriented goals than innovation. And so, innovation is not on their agenda. That's something obviously a startup does. Number one, number two, credit unions have this really low cost of capital, and so there's a lot of fintechs that have discovered credit unions and want to take advantage of the credit union's low cost of capital. But the way they do it is the fintech originates a loan, and these may be buy now, pay later lenders, or you name it, and then sell these loans as portfolios to credit unions because credit unions need to deploy the capital and generate yield. But the credit union actually don't like that a lot. The credit unions, the main vision and the, the purpose is to serve the members mm-hmm. and not only deploy capital and loans. And so we approach them and tell them, you know what? We don't want to sell you loans. We want to make you a fintech company. And so you have this big stretch where some of these credit unions are somewhat older and, and run old-fashioned with very branch-centric mm-hmm. approaches. And then they need to compete with fintechs. And, and we want to be the partner that, that enables them to do that. We want to turn these credit unions into fintech companies. Yeah. Yeah. How cool is that? Well, this is really fun. And seeing you going from you know selling cars online to, yeah. to working with credit unions, what an interesting but connected pathway that you've taken. You know, one of the things, as you know, since I'm an educator and spend a lot of time helping other people think about how they can do the kinds of things that you're doing, talk to us just a little bit about the timeline. How long have you been working on With Clutch? I know know we discussed it very briefly when we were on, what, earlier last year, I think. So this has been a really rapid growth. We always feel like we're not walking very fast. It would be faster, <laughs> but I think that's just the nature of every entrepreneur. So I, when, when we present the product to our clients, they're somewhat impressed because it, some of it looks really cool and feels like a very magical experience. And then they ask, how many years I've been working on it? And when I tell them, well, we actually only started last July, July of 2020, they can't believe that. And they actually have an almost negative reaction to that because that means, oh, you sure. haven't been in business for a long time. Yeah. The way I explained that, well, it's a company we started a year ago, but it's been eight years in the making because we wouldn't have been able to do what we're doing. We wouldn't have been able to build the product we built had it not been for the eight years prior to that. And as you said, like we came from the car space and we have some scars in a positive and in a negative way, <laughs> but we took a lot of lessons from the, and insights from the car space that allowed us to create user experiences that make it really easy for 
create you know, member system at loan applications. And, and now we can expand that. It's basically the beachhead was auto and our understanding of auto. Now we help on multiple fronts, which is really, fun, really fun and exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I can see because as you pointed out some of the, earlier, some of the credit unions and I mentioned they're more traditionally run. So the idea of a company that hasn't been around for more than 12 months could be a little difficult to sell. But, you know, again, we're talking about bringing some very, you know, so many years of experience with this space together in a way that that I think is really has some real opportunity and and obviously the market's proving that out and you're getting a lot of support and and a lot of yeah. rapid growth. I think I mentioned that you you already have like 21 employees. How's that working? And you know, I just can't help but ask. I'm assuming that you know, given the the world that we're in today, you know, a lot of that's remote. And how's it working to scale of business today in, in the post-pandemic world? Yeah, good question. And this is a good one. We started in July of last year and said we had an idea of what to build, but we didn't have a lot of clarity. And so we were very hesitant to bring on a lot of people early on because we wanted to make sure we had a little bit more conviction. And then we we had these conversations with Koreans and they basically told us, build this for us, we'll buy it from you, which obviously is really good guidance. Yeah. And then we said, okay, we need to be creative around building engineering because our engineering team, because it's just very difficult to compete with the big technology companies in, on the West Coast or mm-hmm. nationwide now at this point. And so we said, if, if we do the remote thing, why hire in, our, in, in the U.S. at all? Like if, if you do fully remote and you have strong leaders and strong product vision in the U.S., why hire the whole engineering team in the U.S. and not somewhere else where the time zone aligns? And so my parents are from Argentina originally. Chris, my co-founder's mother, is from the south of Brazil. So we looked into Argentina and Brazil, and and now we ended up hiring the whole team in South America, which is A, super fun. I'm in Brazil as we speak. Mm -hmm. And B, just worked out really well for us because you can hire more people who worked together in the past as a team. They're all fully, fully, fully employed. They all have equity in the company. We treat them like employees, we also make a point that if we do software engineering in Latin America, we'll, we'll wait for a long time to bring in software engineers in the U.S. and only if it's really necessary to make sure they don't feel like we're outsourcing technology because they're building the core of the problem, of the tools and the technology. And so that's been like a blessing in disguise for us because we, we can take advantage of currency differences, cost of living differences, and, and the quality is as good, if not better. Like we, we're very proud of the engineering team now. And then out of the 21 people, we have 17 software engineers, two user experience designers, and then Chris and I. And we see everybody else is building product and and we're trying to think about the vision and selling it. Yeah. So building a very lean company, but also a very global company in a lot of ways. I know you're from Germany originally, and I I didn't realize Chris had roots in in South America, but I knew that you had done some investing in that in companies there. And so totally global company. When I think of credit unions, I think of something that's traditionally a U.S. entity. Is there an international play for this company at all? In Brazil, you have the same type of legal legal entity. It's called Cooperativa. Same thing. It's a credit union. In Germany, you have the Volksbanken, which is exactly the same concept. And so we're obviously starting in the U.S. The market is so big that we have no reason to leave anytime soon. 
but you could in reality build the same business in Brazil or even in Germany if you were to explore it. Brazil would probably be even more interesting because people have more debt. So yeah, totally possible. Not on the party or run roadmap for 2022, but um, the idea is out there. Well, you know, I can't help but ask. You're bringing up the roadmap, so tell me where the company is headed, and you know what your vision is. Tell me what you know, kind of where are you right now, and if you're willing to share it, because I know a lot of our listeners are all about building companies. What you're struggling with, and what some of your challenges are now, and where you're headed. Yeah, good question. So we started very much on the auto vertical because it's the one we understand very well. We were somewhat uniquely positioned to build it. And then the insight was, as I explained earlier, you have two dimensions. A, you can do exactly what we do for auto for all the other loan products. Number one, so you want to go that direction, just to broaden the offering. The other reason why you want to do it is you want to find different reasons why somebody interacts with you. If you don't have a car loan, well, I can't tell you refinance your car loan, but you might still be interested in the person loan. Or if you have a car loan, you're you're just not in the mindset of thinking about the car loan, but you're really interested in a new person loan. Well, we want to be we want to still be able to offer you the whole bouquet of offering, even if you only come for one of these other verticals. And so we're the transition from auto only to the whole breadth of lending products requires just to rethink a little bit the software, the infrastructure, and we're exactly at this tipping point where we we know it'll work. We know it'll work because we have run all these experiments at small scale. All the data suggests if somebody refinanced a car loan, more than 50% likely he will refinance another product if he has savings. So we know it'll work. We just need to build it. And so now we, we have like this really good problem that we wish we, we know what will work when we have it. And from in order to get there, we're just a little impatient. And so the struggle today is impatience. <laughs> which is a very different struggle than I've struggled before where things just didn't work. <laughs> right. So it's a good pain that we're feeling today. Yeah, it is. It is a good feeling to have enough knowledge that you can feel somewhat confident in where you want to go. And it's just a matter of, you know, getting it done. Does that mean you're probably going to be hiring more people or is it, yeah, is it more about so the, the average tenure of our engineering team? They're just two months. We hired some of them earlier this year, but we went from two to seven and now to, 17 and 20 by the end of this month, actually. And it just takes time for a software engineer to ramp up and understand the code base. Also, it's being a, becoming a bigger and bigger product. And like we're dealing with really sensitive data. So security and infrastructure is sure. incredibly important. And so the app is bigger and, and not intimidating, but just it, it's just broader when you look at it than, than what you think, given what I explained. Like the user experience is so simple, you'd think, oh, that must have been really easy to build. But the only reason it's so simple because it was so hard to build. Yeah, that, and that's always the way, I think. You know, in mathematics, the word elegance, you know, getting to the, the, the elegant design takes a lot of effort and a lot of thought. You know, you brought up cyber, and I'm really interested in that piece of it because it is such a big challenge now. You know, what have you learned about yeah, that question. space? So we, we transitioned from doing direct-to-consumer to selling into banks, like credit unions are small banks. And so we transitioned from, well, we'll control the destiny of ourselves to no responsible of somebody else's destiny to some yeah. extent, at least when it comes to data security. And so we needed to understand SOC 2 compliance, data security, infrastructure, compliance, both from a regulatory perspective, but also information security. So we had to just learn that real quick. 
which thankfully our head of engineering, he's, he's worked for Nubank, the, the biggest neobank in the world before. So he, he had the right background and had had the exposure before. He could teach us a little bit. And then we started partnering with vendors who helped us get up to speed really quickly, pass the audits. And so now, A, I speak the language and B, I understand the controls we have in place to protect our data. Mm-hmm. And that, that actually ranges from everything needs to be encrypted, which makes sense, but also like, Every single employee needs to work on a laptop that we provide and we need to make sure that data can't go in and out and we need to be able to maintain security levels and like it's all these little things. And then you need to communicate it to the team because it may come across and feel like, oh, these guys don't trust me, which obviously is not the case. It's just part of best practices that you control the ecosystem, you control the data. And I think we've become really good at it. And had to in a very short amount of time because our clients trust us and we need to have the infrastructure in place that our clients can rely on. Yeah. When I think of cybersecurity, I think of that, the Red Queen effect. I don't know if you've heard that, but from Alice in the Alice in Wonderland, the Red Queen said, here in, in Wonderland, it takes all the running you can do to stay in the same place. And <laughs> I think sometimes with yeah, cybersecurity, so to stay ahead of the nefarious kinds of activities, you really that's have true, to yeah. You really have to stay on it. So I'm sure that'll be one of the interesting things I think about workforces today is the the ability to hire people anywhere because we've we've advanced so much because of the pandemic and we're you know we're learning how to work remotely, but also the fact that we can bring people in and out of a company as needed, which I think is kind of interesting too, especially for for yeah. entrepreneurs who are trying to grow a company. Yeah, you need to build a company in an infrastructure, especially where you can plug in and out people. Like you need to have an onboarding plan, you need to have an offboarding plan. And so these are things you don't think about when you build your own direct-to-consumer business because you, you're primarily worried about the value proposition you're providing, but you learn it as part of the journey. And so what, what's interesting, we, we brought on, as you said, a, like a very, very senior infrastructure engineer who takes care of data security. And the things he thinks of are things that you and I wouldn't even consider remotely possible and he's like no no i've seen this before so we need protection here and here and here we need vulnerability scans we need penetration tests and you can automate a lot of that thankfully infrastructure is available through like aws and azure and google cloud and so it's all there but it's really interesting that if you hire the right people they look ahead for you that wouldn't i wouldn't i would fail yeah. Yeah. Well, I know I feel the same way. And I've always believed it's about surrounding yourself with the right people. And with, you know, back to the red queen effect, we have to constantly be looking for, for the new, well, for the right people at the, for the time. And 100%. yeah. 100%. And when a company's growing like yours, it, it's changing every minute. So, well, this has been phenomenal catching up with you and hearing more well, about what you're doing. You. And, you know, as you know, and I mentioned before we got started, your earlier podcast has been a favorite with our listeners. And as I mentioned it, I have a, a new book out called See, Do, Repeat, The Practice of Entrepreneurship. And and I headlined one of your quotes there and talked oh, wow. about, about your story in it because, you know, I loved what you and Chris did with Carlipso. And I'm even more excited about hearing about this. And and you said, did you say Chris is also in this yeah, Chris, partnership with you? Same team, same team, same dream. 
slightly different dream, bigger dreams. <laughs> yeah. But what a testament to the two of you and your ability to be serial entrepreneurs together. That doesn't always happen a lot. So there must be no, it's, something it's there. It's like a, any relationship, it takes work. But yes, yeah, it does. We, we're very thankful to have each other. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When it works, it's the best, actually. So I always, as you might remember from last time, I always like to wrap up by asking if you if you have one piece of advice that you could share with our listeners, and maybe you've got something that you've learned since last time or or whatever you might yeah. like to share. No, I think last time I left our conversation with people just need to get out and get going, get out of the building and do something. And so that's easier said than done. And I say it and I know what it means, but it's still stretching your comfort zone and like it takes courage. And so the last 12 months yet again have shown me that we ran into like surprises that you, you just wouldn't have thought of had you not put yourself out there. And every day we're trying something new and we learn something. And even if you think like that doesn't make any sense, well, it, it, try it because the data may prove you wrong. And so I'll, I'll leave you with the exact same piece of advice or conviction. Just get going, do something, try to provide value to someone because that client or customer of yours will, will give you good direction and what provides more or less value to him. And you're looking for value as a founder. If you find value, that's half of the journey. That's great advice. And I'm proud to say it aligns a lot with my thinking too in my book, you know, where, where I talk about you just have to get out there, do it and execute past failure because you're going to have some failures and yeah. you just got to keep going. So Nicholas, this has been great. Tell us where our listeners can catch up with you, sure. learn more about with Clutch. I know you're just getting the word out, but yeah. So if you want to connect with me personally, which I'd love to, is just go to LinkedIn, look for my first name, last name. I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. And then if you want to learn more about the company, the company's called Clutch and the domain is withclutch.com. I'd love for you to visit. If you have any feedback, thoughts or ideas, please don't be shy, but share. Feedback is a gift. Yes, it is. Thank you again, Nicholas, for joining us today. Thanks for having me. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.